0: There's been this kind of question that's loomed over humanity for a really long time. and It's really this simple question of which came first, the chicken or the egg? And so as I've watched these videos online, and by the way, none of those are home videos, none of those are my kids, um, none of those are kids that I know, and honestly I don't know the story behind any of those kids or adults. But the the reason I bring up the chicken and egg question is because I'm looking at these videos and it kind of brings up this other question, like which came first? Kids that throw temper tantrums and act that way or adults that grew up thinking that that was okay to act that way? Like, do do kids um, behave the way they do, whether in public or in private? Do they behave that way because they've seen adults that act the same way? Or do adults act that way because uh, they've always acted that way and they yell and they scream, and they throw temper tantrums and they destroy other people's property and nobody ever told them, this is not right. And, and I, I heard some of your comments, I was watching some of you guys as you were watching that video and you kind of had that same reaction. Uh, some of you were like, uh, oh man, this, this is bad. And then some of you, I saw some of your mothers and, and some of your fathers, like you looked at your kid with that look that said, you know exactly what would happen if that was you, Right. And I felt it even up here, and I'm not even your kid, so I understand what you're going through. So, like, do, do kids yell and scream, and do adults yell and scream? Where does all this come from? Do, do adults throw these temper tantrums? Uh, and, and we're starting to see more and more of this stuff, uh, not just in kids. And part of the reason we see more and more of it is because everybody's got a camera these days, and everybody's filming all kinds of stuff. Um, I honestly believe that that it's not just that we're seeing more, that it's actually happening more. I I think, in fact, I saw a news story uh, that kind of documented this, that we are seeing more and more uh, adults act this way. We're seeing more and more adults who are screaming at each other and yelling at each other. We're seeing more and more adults that that actually throw temper tantrums. I was sharing with somebody, I saw one video, and I almost put it on there, that this guy literally laid down in the floor. I mean, we're talking a grown man just laid down in the floor because he couldn't buy something off the shelf at the store that he wanted to. And so he just laid down. That was it. And the police have to come and interact with this man who's just laying down in the middle of the floor. And so over and over, we're seeing more adults who are not only uh, disrespectful, but, man, they're just blatantly defiant to anybody that has authority and anybody that they disagree with. And uh, you can probably ask anybody in law enforcement. They are seeing adults act more like spoiled children than spoiled children acting like adults are supposed to act. And so I'm not always about blaming the parents for everything, but I think sometimes that we forget as parents... That the kids we are raising right now will someday become adults. That the kids that we are raising right now, they're not only going to become adults, like they're going to mature and grow up, but they're going to become what we consider the leaders and the innovators of our future generations, right? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of that's a little scary, okay? Okay. But but we got to keep reminding ourselves as parents that our little boys that we are raising are someday going to be men. The question is, are they going to be great men that are great husbands and fathers and productive citizens? Or are they going to be men that go around trashing stores and yelling at doors because they want to go shopping in a store? The, the little princesses that we have right now, the little girls that we have... They're going to grow up one day, and they're going to become women. And so the question becomes, are they going to become wonderful women who live godly lives and contribute to society? Or are they going to be women who grow up yelling and screaming, and screaming and kicking and throwing temperature because they don't get what they want when they want it? You see, the truth is we are honestly each and every day as parents and as a society. We are training our future generations, and we are training them one way or the other. We're training them in truth and righteousness, or we're training them that what they do as a toddler is the same thing that you can do as an adult. It worked for a kid. It will work for you an adult. And so if we're going to kind of spend time training our kids, that we're going to set them on this path, they're going to be walking for the rest of their life, we want to make sure we do that right. And we started last week. And kind of talking about parenting uh, because we had our WAN Awards going on. And we started this idea of, of what does it look like to parent the Proverbs way? What is the wisdom that God gives us? to parent our kids. And I know some of you are sitting in here, you're not parents, you're, you're, you're grandparents, and some of you aren't going to be parents, some of you are going to be parents in the future. and so. But all of this is still good wisdom, because if you're a grandparent, this stuff still applies to you. If you're going to be a parent in the future, God's truth never changes, so this is going to work for you. If you're not, then, then maybe you can take some of what we do into a classroom or something like that, because you're going to help raise kids one way or the other. And so we're going to continue our discussion, what does it look like to parent the Proverbs way? And we're going to do uh, through the book of Proverbs, and we're going to focus on kind of one verse, and we focused on this verse last week. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6, and it's kind of the verse we're going to use last week, this week, and I'm just going to go ahead and be fully honest with you. Um, I was really excited about this topic when I made the outline for this sermon, and so I hope you packed your lunch with you, because if we work through that whole outline, we're going to be here till about 2 o'clock, all right, because there's just so much good information and practical stuff, all right, and I'm getting some head nods because you forgot to pack your so I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. We're going to cut part of this and save it for next week, okay? So we don't have to be here till 2 o'clock. You don't want to be here till 2 o'clock anyway, and so um, your stomach won't let you listen that long anyway. So we're going to read Proverbs 22, verse 6. Uh, we're going to kind of use that as our springboard. What does it look like to do this? And we're going to make it through. You've got an outline. We're going to make it through the first part of point number 2, okay? And then we'll leave the rest for next week. So let's go ahead and read Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6, it says simply this. It says, Teach a youth about the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and uh, grandmothers and grandfathers that are in this room right now. God, I thank you for um, people who really want to do this the right way, who really want to raise their kids right, who want to train their kids and teach their kids, God, who, who not just for the good of their kid, but for the good of society and the good of the culture that's around us. God, I thank you for parents who really do want your wisdom. God, I thank you for parents like myself who are wise enough to know that we don't have all the answers, we don't know how to do all this right, but yet we have words of wisdom that we can come to. We have principles and knowledge that you have given us that can guide us on how we teach and how we train our kids. God, because as we've seen, it's not just for ourselves, it's not just for them, but it's for the good of all of humanity, God, that we do this. And so God, I pray that as we sit together, as we study together, God, I pray that you teach us. And God, I pray this morning that what we talk about this morning and, and, and next week in this topic isn't just something that we, we write down and we forget it, but something we can apply to our lives when we walk out of these doors this morning, Father. And so, God, I pray that we are here. And I pray that we are ready to be here and just listen to your word. And God, for some of us, maybe even corrected by your word. And so, God, I pray that you teach us as parents how to teach our kids on the way they should go. God, I pray that you teach us as parents how to parent our kids in the best way that we can, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Neil Howe has spent several years studying and researching what he calls generational cycles in American culture, and uh, he kind of looks at all different patterns. There's all kinds of different cycles and patterns that society has gone through in the American culture, and and what he's noticed is there's these cycles that go through, and so one generation will do one thing, and then it fades away, and another generation will pick it back up. If you don't believe that, you can kind of check out fashion, all right? Some of the things that were around in the 70s and 80s, teenagers now think are the coolest thing ever, all right? And Some of us are a little older. We're like, you know, we started that. And the truth is, we didn't really start it either. We just picked it up from somebody else, all right? The, the, these cycles have just kind of continued over and over. And as he kind of researched all these different cycles and all these things that were going on, one of the things he really kind of focused on, and it's kind of, he's kind of taken off a little bit with this, is this idea of parenting. What does parenting look like in the American society, American culture, over several generations? And he says, really, that they are, we're kind of in this transition period, that, that right now, There's not a predominant parenting style, all right? It hasn't happened for this youngest set of parents yet. He said, now, other generations, they've had a predominant style of parenting. He says, but right now, we are really living in a society that has a mix of parenting style. And he kind of outlines three of those, all right? So I'm going to tell you all three of them. We're going to talk about all three of them. And so maybe you kind of take this as, as your little test of which one of these parenting styles best describes you, all right? Now, don't raise your hand, okay? Because we don't wanna, this is not confession out in public, all right? So um, don't poke your neighbor or anything like this. But I just wanna show you these three parenting styles and what he says and how he describes each one. And he's not saying they're right, he's not saying they're wrong, he's just saying these are trends and styles that we are seeing. One of the first styles, uh, is what he calls and others called um, free-range parenting, right? He says this is most popular with the youngest set of parents, right? So people who are new to parenting, this is, this is kind of the emerging trend. He said free-range parents, uh, maybe a new term, it's not one I've heard very often, but he says these are parents that, that they really do kind of exactly what it says, that you just kind of release your kids out into the range and you just let them go right the, the folks that are free range parenting uh, believe their kids are going to be just fine that they they're uh, they're going to have some bumps they're going to have some bruises there's going to be some casualties casualties along the way but that's okay because all of that builds experience and for free range parenting style it means that experience is the best teacher okay now there's a little bit of truth in that there's some good uh, thought in that that when your child learns a certain way through experience then they won't make that mistake again, or they will um, repeat that same thing. So just kind of let them go, let them figure things out on their own, and, uh, and they will figure it out, and experience will teach them what's good and what is bad. Right? Now, like I said, this is the newest of the three styles, but this action is gaining some, some pretty good traction in the parenting world. In fact, in, or excuse me, in 2018, Utah became the first state in the nation who passed legislation to protect, get this, parents' parental rights to free-range parent their children, okay? I didn't know we had to have legislation for that, but basically, if you want to send your kids out in the field, let them go, all right? Apparently, we have to have laws that tell you you can do that, but one state has passed this. There's a, several other states that are kind of considering this of you need to let parents just let the decision of let their kids go and let their kids kind of do this, all Right. Now, that's the first one, the second style that he says is very, very different from that, okay? It's the second style was a little more popular with Generation X parents, right? So if you're a Generation X parent, uh, this, this may be you, okay? And he calls this the stealth fighter parent, right? And many of you kind of think, if you you've kind of watched military movies or you in the military, you know what stealth fighters do, right? The, they, stealth fighters, you don't see them, you don't know where they come from. I mean, their whole goal is to kind of be off in the distance and silent and quiet until attack time is ready. And when attack time is ready, they show up and they show up with vengeance. And they leave nothing in its wake. Right? So he says that stealth fighter parents, let me read this to you, he says they choose when and where they will attack. If issues seem below their threshold of importance, they save their energy and let it go entirely. Right? So, so if something's small, They don't worry about it. They're just going to let the small stuff go. He says, but if something becomes large enough, that if it comes in their crosshairs, their threshold, uh, it shows up on their radar, they will strike. And get this, they will strike rapidly, they will strike in force, and often without warning. It says this is exactly how they parent their kids. They they discipline their kids this way, and they discipline or they they deal with other issues this way that most of the time you don't see them, you don't have to worry about them, you don't have to you don't have to think about them. But when something becomes important, it's all hands on deck and you better watch out. Okay? So that's the second parenting style he describes, this stealth fighter parenting style. Like I said, it was most popular in the Generation X parents, it's still around today but he says that's not the only one that's out there. In fact, there, there's this still kind of trend of what he describes as helicopter parenting, right? Now, some of you may be more familiar with this one than the other ones because we've heard this term. It's been around the longest, right? Helicopter parenting really started with the baby boomers who were parents of the, the current millennials, all right? And, and helicopter parents, they are constantly hovering over their kids, okay? These are the ones you hear stories about that, and, and not to make fun of you if you're a helicopter parent. I'm I'm, not, I'm because honestly, most of us are, there's a little bit of this in all of us, right? But helicopter parents to the extreme, these are the ones that showed up at the kid's first job interview, okay? These are the ones who called their kid every morning when their kid was in college to make sure that you got out of bed on time, all right? These are the ones in, and if you're a teacher in here, you're going to identify that, with this, all right? And I'm going to tell you a story later. These are the ones who, they, they are constantly at your school, all right? And, and not in a good way. Okay? They are constantly there. They're going to help, but they're constantly there to make sure you know they're there and to make sure little Johnny is doing what he needs to do. Okay? And so one, one author has put it this way. He says the helicopter parent is going to ensure their child's success because they're going to pave the path to success for them. Right? And parents, when they're in this helicopter mode, they're constantly acting in this mode in three different ways, in either attack mode, supply mode, or rescue mode okay, attack mode meaning that anything that comes near this child will be killed on sight, all right, that you, there is no casualties except other people, there's no heartache, there's no bumps, there's no bruises, there's no wounds, none of that, because all that's going to be like sniper rifled off like at 30,000 feet, okay, so helicopter parents they're hovering over their kid, but they're watching the horizon all the time, and they are taking out every single target that even looks like a threat, okay? So that's the attack mode. The, the supply mode is, is, if you think of rescue or, or uh, helicopters, that this is their job, that they drop off emergency supplies to their kids, okay? That's constantly what they're doing, is they're dropping off supplies to their kids, all right? And then the, the last kind of mode they operate in is this rescue mode. It's their job to rescue their kid if things get too rough, and we're going to talk about those in just a little bit, all right, and so there's all these different parenting styles, and and what uh, Neil Howe says is that what we're seeing now in parenting is not one of these trends, what we're seeing is kind of all three of these are happening at the same time, okay, which if you can imagine, if you've got helicopter parents with uh, stealth fighter parents, and then you've got these free range parents that are all kind of interacting with each other, your kids are all in the school, no wonder teachers are stressed out, like, thank goodness, maybe virtual school wasn't so bad because the parents couldn't show up. Or maybe they just lost them somewhere. I don't know what happened to them. But, you know, as we look through these different things, and I told you kind of look at those and kind of see where you fit in those. Because the truth is that while these are not like, you may not be exclusively one of them, but my guess is that there's a little bit of you that's at least part of one of them. Okay. If you're a parent, then you may fall into one of those categories. You may fall completely into one of those categories. You may be that attack helicopter. You may be that stealth fighter. And so when we look at parenting the Proverbs way, one of the things we've got to figure out is, do any of these models or styles of parenting fit with what Scripture tells us is best for our kids? Because what we want ultimately is not what society says is best for our kids. What we as Christians want is what God's Word says is best for our kids. And so for us to figure that out, we've got to take God's word and we've got to let it be our standard. And so one of the first things that Proverbs tells us in parenting is that if you're a helicopter parent, it may be time to land the helicopter. It may be time to stop hovering and stop being those roles so much for your kid and kind of set back a little bit. Right? Now, like I said, when we talk about the parenting, sometimes we talk about the extremes of those things. But for some of us, it's time that we land this helicopter because ultimately what you're doing as a helicopter parent is not good for your child, and honestly, it's not good for you either. All right? In the long run, these things are doing more harm than they're doing good. To be a helicopter parent is not healthy for you, it's not healthy for them. And so I want you to understand that, that parents who do this don't do it because they're, they're wanting to hurt their child. Every parent that's a helicopter parent does it because they love their child and they want their child to be happy and they want their child to be successful. Every parent wants that for their kid, right? I mean, I don't know any parent that says, I want my kid to be a failure, sign my kid up for that. All right, Where's failure 101? Send my kid down that road. Except we do. All right, We don't say it, but we act that way. Let me show you what the Bible says about parenting this way. When I talk about parenting uh, from a, a helicopter perspective and I talk about dropping down supplies to them, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about like emergency supplies or essential supplies like food and water. Okay, I'm talking about this culture and the society we live in where we think that their needs are the same thing as their wants. Right? We live in this culture in the society that says if my, what my kid needs to be successful is to be happy and to be entertained constantly. Right? And that will make my house and that will make my kid function smoothly. Okay? And so what we do as helicopter parents is we drop down those supplies that meet those needs. Except they're not needs, they're just wants. And here's how it happens. Because we start off with this idea of we want our kid's first Christmas to be important, right? Every kid's first Christmas, you got to have tons of stuff, you got to have tons of toys. And so we drop down the supplies that are going to make that infant, that one-year-old or however old they are, on their first birthday, or not on their, obviously they're one on their first birthday, but on their first Christmas, we're going to drop down those toys that are going to meet that need of making them happy and entertained. We're going to do that at Christmas. And then we're going to do that again at their birthday. And the problem is that the kid sees this gift come down, and they're like, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing ever. And then about a month later or maybe 30 minutes later, it's off to the side. And your kid who thought this was the greatest need he ever had realizes, hey, this was all right, but there's got to be something else. And so what we find ourselves doing as helicopter parents is not just dropping down needs and, and, and supplies on special occasions like Christmas and birthdays. And I think those things are important. What we begin doing is like, oh, well, Johnny's birthday isn't for another six months or Christmas is almost a year off. We've got to have something in between. And so <laughs> don't be offended by this, but we started this idea of half birthdays. Like you get to drop stuff off for your kid on a half birthday. I've never had a half birthday in my life and I'm still alive, right? But then six months was too long for you to drop something off because what happened? Your kid got so used to the half-birthdays, and then the half-birthday surprises didn't satisfy them for another six months. So then we backed it up to, like, quarter-birthdays. And I don't know if you celebrate quarter-birthdays. I really don't know anybody that does, but we, we don't make them official. We just drop them off. Like We just drop off the supplies because we are constantly meeting their need to be happy and entertained because this makes them content, right? Except it doesn't. You know what it does? It allows them to play with something, be entertained with something for just a little bit of time and then throw it to the side. And then you know what happens next? They look up for the next package that's going to be dropped off. Because you are constantly hovering over them, constantly dropping off the next package. And so then it it becomes not every quarter of the birthday, but then every month they get a surprise. And then that doesn't satisfy them, so it becomes every... So you find yourself operating this mode as a helicopter parent. You really did mean well, but you start finding yourself that you are constantly dropping more and more and more and more supplies to your kids. And what Proverbs teaches us is, listen, this is not how this is supposed to work. This is not good for you, and it's not good for your kids. So let me give you three Proverbs that are going to show you why this is a bad idea, all right? And the first one we're going to look at is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21. And you may not have time to flip through all these, so you may just make a note of them and come back to them later. But Proverbs 20, verse 21 says this, An inheritance gained prematurely will not be blessed ultimately, right? Now, suddenly we went to a dark place, because when we think of inheritance, we think of death, all right? And, and, and that's what inheritance is. It is money, it is possessions that I, as a parent, saved, set aside, and when I pass, that stuff goes to my kids, okay? Except I want you to think of it like this, that you're only going to make so much, you're only going to have so much money as a parent in your life, okay? You may win the lottery, you may get a second job, but ultimately, you're only going to have so much that you can save and pass on to your kid, so think about this, if my resources of income are limited, then the question becomes, what am I doing with what I've been given? Am I going to save it and allow them to get it when I'm gone, or am I going to give it to them prematurely? And people's like, nobody gives their inheritance prematurely. Yeah, you do. You just don't think of it that way. You see, when we start buying stuff for our kids to hover over them, to drop off the supplies, we are constantly spending money on them. Right. And if you're constantly spending money on stuff or on activities or all this stuff to constantly feed their need of happiness, you know what you're doing? You're draining those resources that you're not saving at the end, instead you're spending them now. Ultimately, what you're doing is you're giving them stuff you should have saved for them, you're giving it to them now. And so you're giving these kids their inheritance at the age of two, three, four, five, six. And guess what happens at the end of your life? there's nothing left to give them because you already gave them everything that you had. You already spent their inheritance, okay? You gave them everything. You prematurely gave them their inheritance. And so what we find through Proverbs is simply this, that if you prematurely give them their inheritance by meeting all of their wants and their needs, if you, if you prematurely give them, this, and then all this stuff and all these things that you do for them, they don't turn into blessings. Instead, they turn into a curse. Some of you are very familiar with, with the New Testament story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. In the New Testament story, the prodigal son is simply this. There's a man who has two sons, and the oldest one's out in the field. The youngest one, maybe a little more rebellious, he comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, I'm tired of all these rules. I'm tired of the way you're treating me. Give me my inheritance now and let me go. And the dad does. Okay? Now, in the New Testament, this story is more about the relationship of the father and son and forgiveness and all that. But I want you to see what happens, because when the son gets his inheritance, what does he do? He takes off and he ruins his life. He, he spends every dime of it. He ends up uh, feeding, uh, he ends up wanting to eat pig slop is what he does, right? Did all that inheritance bless him? No. It became a curse for him because what he ends up doing is becoming so envious of his servants that he crawls back to his dad and says, Dad, I, I don't have anything. I have nothing left. And I'd rather just serve you and be a servant because that's better than what I got out going on down here. See, part of that story needs us to realize that what God has given us is, is there, and it's a blessing for us, except it's our responsibility to use it right. And if we give to our kids their inheritance prematurely, then what we're doing is we're going to find out that we don't equip them for what they really need. We don't equip them to handle it correctly, that they're going to waste it, and they're going to have nothing. Dr. David Bonhoeff is a child psychologist, and he has, he has written a lot about kids, and he says that this proverb is true over and over again. He writes this. He says that overindulging children is giving them too much of what looks good too soon and for far too long. And he goes on to write this. He says overindulging kids can cause them pain in their adult life. Our research found that those who are overindulged often, listen to this the list that he gives, he says that kids who are overindulged as adults, they need immediate gratification, they have poor self-control, they have overblown sense of entitlement, are ungrateful and irresponsible, they have no interest in making the community they live in better, and they don't know when is enough. All right. So we think we're doing good by dropping all this supplies for our kids. But now society has caught up with this idea, no, what you're doing is you're hurting your kids in the long run. Dr. Bonhoeff's uh, research, it backs up not only Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21, but it also backs up another proverb. It's Proverbs 29, verse 21. And in that proverb, Solomon writes this. He says, a slave pampered from his youth will become arrogant later on. A right? different translation uh, at the end of that verse would say, an overindulged slave or overindulged servant will become burdensome and overly dependent. Meaning that they're going to expect all the same reward as a son, but none of the work as the servant. All right? And what happens is the servant who is pampered, he's overindulged, he gets everything dropped down to him, the helicopter parent is there, and he's just dropping all the supplies, giving everything he ever wants, everything he ever thought he wanted, everything he needs, and he ends up being a burden on the parent who's doing this. Right? He ends up kind of taking on this dependency role that wasn't meant for him. And so I want you to see how this fits in with parenting. Because if that can happen to a slave and to a servant, don't think that wouldn't happen to your own kids. That if we are doing this for our own kids, we are dropping off everything for them. We're giving them everything. Don't think that the same dependency that's going to happen to a slave, it's going to happen to your same kids. They're going to get this sense of entitlement. They're going to get this sense that you owe them. They're going to get the sense not only you owe them, but everybody owes them. And they're going to get this idea that you overindulge them. And notice this is where the um, this is where they, they because they're ungrateful because they don't understand that all of this becomes a burden to them and ultimately to you. See what you end up with if you overindulge your kids is a kid who never has to work for anything because you gave them everything. And guess what? They they that's not a burden for them. That's a burden on you. Did you think about that? I watched another video, and I almost showed it on, on, the, video, on the screen this week, but there was way too much language um, that, that I would just have to silence the whole thing if I did. But it was this man who, who took all of his uh, son's video games, And I'm not talking son like a little son. I'm not talking about even a a college-age son. I'm talking about an adult, grown man, right, who's been through college, uh, should have been out on his own or or should have been doing something, and instead he spends his whole day, some of you may have seen this video, he spends his whole day playing these video games, and his dad takes all of them, he throws them in the yard, and you see the video is this son yelling at the dad who the dad's sitting on his zero-turn mower eyeballing all these video games. And the son is screaming like he's getting ready to lose a foot or something like that because dad's getting ready to run over all these video games. And he's like, but dad, you don't understand, this is my life. And he said, no, your life is you need to go get a job. You need to get out of your room. You need to do something. We didn't send you to college for you to sit in your room and play video games all day. And he said, this is my life. This is what I want to do with my life. And he says, well, when it starts paying bills, then you can do this for your life. And then he revs up the mower and he mows over them, right? And the rest of the video is literally this, this kid, not a kid, this man who is acting like a kid, like completely melting down, screaming and yelling and all this obscenities going on. And he's out there like literally picking up the pieces of these little video games. You see, he had no burdens. It wasn't his concern that he didn't have a job. Why? Because all of his needs were met. He didn't need to go get a job because why? He didn't have to. He can just stay in his room, play video games all day, and guess what? The helicopter parent's going to drop food right there every single day. Helicopter parent's going to drop that phone bill. That helicopter parent's going to drop the next game. That helicopter parent's going to drop the next thing. And notice the burden is not on the kid at all. It's on the parent. Let me show you another one where the burden falls. Because overindulged kids don't understand that that they're kind of the situation, they're not only a financial burden, but they're also an emotional burden for the parent. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 7 makes this clear. He says, A discerning son keeps the law, but a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Right? A glutton is someone who doesn't know when they've had enough, who, who, someone who has little or no self-control, and it results from exactly what Dr. Bonhoeff said, that, that it's an overindulged kid that doesn't know when enough is enough. And so you have this kid who sits with these other kids or adult who sits with these other adults and they all don't know when to stop. They all don't know when to say, I've had enough. They all don't know that, that they are overindulged. And so notice where the shame and humiliation is at. It's not on the kid, it's on the father. You see, the kid who's overindulged, he don't feel bad for being overindulged. The kid who's overindulged, he don't feel humiliated by it. There's no shame for him. Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, right? That's not just a marriage expression. It happens with kids too. So listen, they don't feel it. There's no shame in that. It's on the parents. The parents feel the shame. The parents feel the guilt. The parents are the ones who have to deal with this humiliation because the, the, they're paying the price for the child's lack of self-control. And so when we put these verses together, it's clear that, listen, if you're hovering over your kid to give them everything that they want, It's not good for them, and it's not good for you. In fact, you're doing more harm for them and for yourself than you're doing good. What you're doing is you're setting up these unreasonable expectations that this is what reality looks like, this is what the world looks like. And then at some point, if you do drop them off in the world, they're kind of left lost. Because they've never had to take care of anything on their own. They never had to work for anything on their own. You, you've done this as this idea of protecting your kids but, or, or supplying your kids. But what you've done is you've set up this heartache that's going to come for them. And, and you've kind of dropped the supplies. And so for some of us, we've got to stop hovering. We've got to stop dropping supplies. We've got to land the helicopter. But see, that's not the only reason that helicopters hover. They don't just hover to drop supplies. Maybe you don't hover over your kid to drop supplies. Maybe you're the rescue helicopter, right? Th- that you honestly think your job is to rescue your kid. And all of us think that, right? All of us know the world is a dangerous, it's a scary place out there. All of us know that kids aren't ready to face the world. And it wouldn't be smart for us to think that. I mean, it wouldn't be smart for us to, kid- for us to think otherwise that our kids are ready to face the world when they can barely walk. So we hover over them for a little while, and we protect them, and we, we're there when they need rescuing because as a, as a helicopter parent, you know it's only a matter of time before they need rescuing, right? I want you to think of every natural disaster, every flood that you've ever heard about in, in kind of, or seen in recent history. There's usually some warning that happens, right? There's usually some, hey, you guys need to get out of this area. This area is dangerous. And what happens? People stay, And then what happens? The helicopter has to come and pluck people off the roof. And this whole time, they're like, you know what? If you'd have got out when we told you to get out, we wouldn't have to be here to rescue you now. What happens is there are people who have to put their lives in danger to rescue people who didn't make the choice to get out when they should have gotten out. That's a beautiful picture of a helicopter parent in rescue mode. That is my job to, whatever cost, I'm going to rescue my kid from the dangers of this world. Now, I want to be clear. There's a difference between rescuing your kid and protecting your kid from dangers and rescuing them from the results of their choices. There's a huge difference in those two. Right? We are called as parents to protect our kids. We are called as parents to rescue our kids when they are in danger and need rescuing. But we are not called as parents to save them from the consequences of their choices. That's a totally different thing. In fact, let me show you what Proverbs says about that. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19, it's pretty clear that if we are rescuing our kids from the consequences they choose or the choices they make, then we're causing more trouble than we are doing good. In Proverbs 19:19, 19, 19, it says, a person with great anger bears the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. Now, when I was teaching, um, I saw several of these type of parents. And the one that sticks out the most in my mind, was that I had a group of students, uh, probably my second or third year of teaching, I had this group of students who made some bad choices when they were in a lab. We were, I taught science, and, and so we were constantly doing labs and stuff like that. And so there's was this one group of boys that got together, and, and they decided that they would, see instead of using the hot plate to heat up the chemicals they were supposed to be heating up, they were going to use the hot plate to catch their lab papers on fire, okay? That's not in the instructions. That's not what you're supposed to do in the lab, just so everybody's clear. We're all on the same page. That's not safe for you or for anybody else, all right? That's not what you're supposed to do in lab. And so when the paper caught on fire, I walked over there, I put the paper out, and I told the boys, I said, you guys are done. You need to go sit down. Well, we need to finish this lab. No, I think you're done. I think you're done with the lab. One, you can't even read your lab paper because you decided to catch it on fire, so you don't know what you're supposed to do next. You need to go sit down, right? And then the rest of the class is going to do their lab. You just need to get your book out and you need to start doing book work because apparently that's where you are comfortable and that's where you're smart enough to be, right? So go do the book work and I'm going to help these other students with the lab. And so that was the, my last class of the day. And so at the end of the day, the bell rang 5 minutes after the bell rang. My classroom phone rings, right? And I think I've told some of you this story before. My classroom phone rings, and I pick it up, and I say, hey, this is Mr. Rakes. And the, the voice on the other end was not even the administrators. There was not another teacher in the school. They, she immediately introduced herself as so-and-so's mom, right? This is so-and-so's mom, and I need to talk to you about what happened in class today. Great, this saves me a phone call. I'm glad you called. I'm glad that you were so concerned about your son that you called me. Except I realized real quick in the conversation that was not at all. She wasn't concerned about her son. She was concerned about what was going to happen to her son. Okay. See, she didn't call wondering if her son was okay because her son almost caught himself on fire. She called because her son got in trouble, because he made bad choices. You see, and that was her concern. Her real concern was, let me see how I can rescue my kid, not from the danger of a fire, but from the danger of the choices that he made. Because immediately, when we started talking, her conversation was not really about her son at all. It was about those other boys that were in the group. And and it was all their fault. It was was they're the ones who came up with this idea, and they're the ones who were going to do this, and they're the ones who, who thought this up, and they're the ones who actually did it. And I said, ma'am, I can honestly believe all of that except for the fact that your son was the one who was holding the lab paper while it was on fire, which means yours is the son who actually was doing this in the first place. And guess what? If that group is such a bad influence on your son, your son chose that group. I didn't assign him to him. Your son picked that group. Well, he didn't know that's what was going to happen was the very next comment that I got. And so I probably didn't handle this as well as I should have. I'm just going to, this moment of confession. As a teacher, this is probably not my bright, shining moment, all right? But here's what I show. He said, she, she just didn't know, he didn't know that that's what was going to happen. He didn't know that it was going to catch on fire, that this was a dangerous thing, that this was a bad idea. And so I, I said, well, ma'am, I think that if your kid has made it this far in school and doesn't know that if you put paper on something extremely hot that bad things can happen, then maybe he doesn't need to be in my class in the first place. There's an elementary school down the road that maybe he should go back to. And like I said, that was probably not the best way to handle that, okay? It was probably not, I probably shouldn't have said that, and and I really don't regret it, and I'm really not sorry for it, just (laughs) to be honest, because... What I realized in our conversation is this is not this lady's first conversation. Man, this was almost a rehearsed script that, that I was not the first teacher she had talked to about her son's behavior. And the fact that she called me within five minutes of it happening, and then five minutes or her school letting down, like, I began to understand that what she was doing, like I said, she wasn't trying to rescue her son from a fire. That wasn't her concern. Her concern was my kid did something wrong. Let me rescue him from the consequences. And my thought was this isn't the first time you've done this. Now, I'll show you the rest of the story. You know what? I never had another problem with that kid or his mom the rest of the semester. Not a single time did he catch anything else on fire. In fact, he was smart enough that says, this was a bad idea and I'm not going to do this again. But I can't help but wonder if this proverb would have been true. If I'd said, you know what? Maybe it wasn't his fault. Maybe he should." If I'd have let him redo the lab or do something else, I wonder if we'd have had this proverb and she'd have been calling me two weeks later or three weeks later. What? to rescue her son again. Not from a fire, but from the consequences of his own choices. You see, this is where we find out that we as helicopter parents have to be careful because we're not protecting our kids from danger. What we're protecting them from is this is the choice they made. And so I've got to stop the consequences from affecting my kid. Like the proverb says, if you do that, you're going to rescue them and you're going to do it again. The child that is constantly having to be rescued is the child that learns there are no consequences for their action. The child that is constantly being rescued has learned that I can do whatever I want to whenever I want to, and it doesn't affect anybody, except it does. Because a mama or daddy has to keep doing this over and over and over again. So what we do is we, we make sure that we rescue them and rescue them and rescue them. And what we're doing is we're paving the path for them to be on instead of preparing them. You see, a judge who, who dealt with family court put it this way. He says, we as adults spend far too much time preparing the path for our kids, but far too little time preparing our kids for the path. You see, if we're helicopter parents, we are so busy attacking, we're so busy flotting and so busy hovering that we forgot that we're constantly rescuing our kids and we're not preparing them for a path. We're not training them or teaching them like Proverbs 22 says. If you really want to rescue your kid, then maybe sometimes you have to let them live with the consequences. If you really want to rescue your kid, then don't save them from the consequences. Instead, what Proverbs teaches us is that you show them that there are consequences. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 14 puts it this way. It says that if you strike him with a rod, you will rescue his life from Sheol, or you will rescue his life from the place of dead. So if you want to rescue someone, if you want to rescue a child, don't always pluck them out of their consequences. Instead, show them that their actions have consequences. So for some of us, it's time that we land the helicopter, and for some of us, it's time that we need to pick up the rod. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, when I was a kid... I thought my mom and my grandma shared the same favorite Bible verse because it's the Bible verse that, that they repeated to me and my brother quite constantly. And it was this Bible verse that was simply this, spare the rod, spoil the child. All right? Now, I saw some of you mouth that because that was your parents' favorite Bible verse too. And the only reason I think it was my parents' favorite Bible verse is because I heard that Bible verse more than any other Bible verse in my house. All right. Spare the rod, spoil the child. And, and my brother and I knew that as soon as those words came out of mom or grandma's mouth, we'd have had it. There was no talking our way. This was going to be a done deal. Like, we were set. We might as well go ahead and, like, prepare for it. We were going to get the whooping that we deserved. There was no escaping of this whatsoever. But I'm going to tell you a secret this morning. And I don't know that I've told anybody else this secret. You ready for this? I was almost 30 years old when I found out I had been lied to my entire life. Some of you are older than I was. So I'm going to let you in on this secret. The Bible doesn't say, spear the rod, spoil the child. No verse in the Bible says that. All right? So here I was believing the whole time the Bible says, spear the rod, spoil the child, and believed my parents and grandparents, and they were lying to me the whole time. <laughs> I wish I could go back and close some scripture to them right now. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that, but... We we kind of built up this idea that this is in scripture, but I'm going to be honest with you, it's not. There's not a Bible verse that says, "Spare the rod, spoil the child." There is uh, Bible verses that say a lot about the the rod and how to use the rod and discipline your kids this way. And and in fact, the the idea of the rod is used eight different times in the Book of Proverbs. Five of those eight deal with your children. Okay, so we're going to spend some time today, a little bit today, and then a lot next week, on what does this look like? What does it mean uh, to, to, to use the rod? And one of the first lessons that it teaches us about using the rod of correction is that when we use the rod of correction, it actually shows not that we're spoiling the child or not spoiling the child. What it actually shows is that we love our children, right? That we don't hate our children. We want what's best for our child. And let me show you what I mean. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, Solomon writes this. He says, the one who will not use the rod." Hence the spare the rod, okay? If you've got the old King James, he that spareth the rod, that's where that comes from, okay? And that's where it stops. That's, the rest of it's not there, all right? But the one who does not use the rod hates his son. But the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Man, this is a great verse. If you love your kids, which I think all of us do, none of us would say that we hate our kids. And by the way, hate is an idea that, that you, your kid is an enemy and then you need to separate or destroy them. None of us are going to say that we want that for our kids. All of us are going to say, yeah, I love my kids. None of us are going to say that we want anything bad for our kids, except we're not doing what we need to do to show them that. That if we're not disciplining our kids, we really are showing them hate versus love. And so when we free-range our kids, all right, let's go back to the free-ranging parenting style for a moment. When we free-range, because we picked on the helicopter parents enough, so we've got to pick on the rest of you guys for a little while. So when we free-range our kids, have you ever thought about this? What you're really saying is, I hate you. That's harsh. We would never say that to our kid. We would never say that I don't want you. I don't want to be around you. You need to go learn life lessons from somebody else. That that you need to learn life lessons the hard way and let experience be your teacher. And I'm going to agree for a little bit that experience can make a great teacher. Sometimes. But sometimes it makes a terrible teacher. Why? Because sometimes the lessons of experience come too little too late. Sometimes the lessons of experience don't come until experience has already bit you in the rear end. Sometimes you don't learn the lesson of experience until you are so far down a path there is no point of return. Sometimes the lessons of experience don't come until you've done so much harm to yourself and to other people that you can't get back to where you wanted to be in the first place. You see, if experience was such the best teacher, if experience was the best teacher and the greatest teacher, let's be honest, if that was true for every situation, then our jails right now would be empty. Think about it. Isn't there enough experience in the world to know that drugs are bad? Isn't there enough experience in the world to know that violence is not where we want to go? Isn't there enough experience in the world to know that anger hurts people and is not acceptable? Isn't there enough experience in the world to know that? And so it's not always the best teacher. Because if it was, our, our, um, our jails would be empty. If experience really was the best teacher, our, our law enforcement officers, man, they'd have a whole lot less to do. If experience really was the best teacher, drug dealers and drug users, man, all of them would be out of business. You see, what we do when we discipline our kids is simply this. I love you enough to stop you before you get too far gone. I love you enough to correct you now versus correcting you and letting you figure out that, that drugs are bad and that things are bad down the road. I love you enough not to let you do irreparable harm to yourself or to this family or to the rest of the world that are around you. I love you enough to protect you and I love you enough that I want what's best for you, not just right now, but in the long term. You see, but the way that we show love and discipline is that we have to discipline in the right way, right? Because I want you to notice what the end of verse 24 says. It doesn't just say that if you love them, you discipline him. That's not it. There's an extra word at the end of that verse, and the extra word is this, that the one who loves him, the one who loves his son, disciplines him diligently. The Hebrew word there, diligently, means that you seek it or did you seek it early, right? This discipline demonstrated in love means that it has to be done early, And it has to be done early in age and early in action, right? So early in age, meaning that you cannot wait until your kids or teenagers to expect them to behave. You cannot expect your kids to suddenly when they become teenagers, they become logical and they can think through things and you can start talking to them and discipline them at the time. If you've waited that long, you've waited too late if you've allowed your kids not to listen to you when they were kids then when they become teenagers there you don't have a hope anymore you you've lost all chance of of disciplining them through love you see uh, there was a young lady who was um letting her kid get by with a whole lot of cute stuff and one of the things that she thought was cute and you may agree you disagree we, we we won't argue this but her kid saw something on a video that she was watching, and it was a cuss word. And we're talking little bitty kid, like two-year-old. And so the little girl repeating what was said on the video says that cuss word. Well, mom just thought that was kind of cute. I mean, little two-year-old, this is kind of cute saying this word. So mom videotapes this little kid saying this cuss word because it's cute, right? It's just kind of cute when that word comes out of that kid's mouth. Except fast forward a few years when the kid goes to school and gets in trouble for saying that word and multiple other words, and mom doesn't understand why she gets in trouble for that. Mom doesn't understand why she does that. Well, it's because it was cute when she was two, and you just let her keep doing it. It was so cute, you rewarded it by showing her videos, and you laughed at it, and you encouraged it, and you showed it to other people. And so what you did was you didn't, early in her age, discipline her the way that you should be another parent and this is actual story said that her kid talked back to her all the time and her kid as a teenager just wouldn't listen to her and was always talking back to her and she would ignore her and then when she was talking to her she would yell and scream at her and as i'm sitting here having this conversation with this mom who is very distraught about this about her teenage daughter she also has another son in the room and this son is three And I had been in this room with this kid for about 30 minutes, all right? And this conversation was going on for about 30 minutes. Mom was telling me how the the teenage kid just wouldn't listen. They were always arguing back. And in that 30 minutes, I thought a bomb went off in that room. I mean, what you saw in that video of the kid doing that to the store was what was happening in that room as we were talking. There was just stuff flying everywhere. And the, the mom occasionally would stop and she said, don't do that. And the kid just kept right on going. I mean, there was stuff everywhere, and, and the kid didn't listen at all. And so it didn't take me very long to figure out the reason your teenage kid doesn't listen is because when they were this age, you didn't teach them to listen, You see, if we're going to discipline our kids, we've got to do it diligently. We means we've got to start young. We've got to seek it early, but not just in age, but also in action. Listen, this is where the stealth fighter parents, this is where we get in trouble, okay? Because we cannot let stuff just continue on until it gets to a breaking point. If we're going to discipline, we've got to discipline young in age, but also young in action. You see, we as stealth fighter parents, and I'll include myself because I do have a little tendency of this myself, Alright? Maybe you don't, maybe you do. It's up to you. But self-fighter parents, what we do is that's not important. We just let that go. That's not important. We just let that go. That's not that big of a deal. We just let that go. And then all of a sudden something is important. And we strike with fury. And our kid is wondering, like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, why is all of a sudden I've been doing the exact same thing for the last four days and dad hadn't said nothing? But all of a sudden dad showed up today with fury and like started dropping rockets on my head. Right? Why today is dad not okay with this, but he's been okay with this all along? Because I was mad, because I was angry, because I let things, all of a sudden it reached my radar. The truth is that same behavior had been going all the time. If we're going to discipline our kids, we've got to do it diligently. It means young, but also when the behavior starts. We can't wait till it builds up. We can't wait till it keeps going. We can't wait until it, it suddenly becomes important to us or inconvenience us. We've got to start it young. You see, if we don't do it, our kids are left wondering why in the world is this such a big deal now when it hadn't been such a big deal earlier. We find ourselves being inconsistent if we're the stealth fighter ones, because we just show up, we drop the bombs, and we take off. And we wait for the next big blow up, and we have this blow up, boom, and we drop the bombs, and we take off. We're not disciplining our kids if we don't do it diligently. We're not disciplining our kids and setting them on the path they should go if we're not going to be consistent in the way that we discipline them. And we're not showing them love by just dropping bombs when it becomes a big deal. We're not showing them love if if we just drop the bombs and and drop the hammer and, and become this huge disciplinarian for about 30 seconds in their life and then we move on to something else. If you want to show your kid love, you start when they're young. And you start training them and teaching them when they're young. And you start training them and teaching them that this behavior is right and this behavior is wrong. And you start training them from the very beginning so that you don't have these moments of inconsistency. You don't have these moments where there's just this huge blow up and everybody in the house is yelling and screaming and everybody in the house is mad and then nothing gets resolved in those moments. What you do is you start young. You start when the actions start. And you train them from those moments. And that's when you show them, I'm doing this because I love you. Let's be honest. If you're a parent, you're a stealth fighter parent, and you're yelling and you're screaming at your kid, and and do you really think your kid feels love at that moment? No, what they feel is wrath at that moment. But the truth is the wrath comes because you overlooked everything else that was building up to it, and then all of a sudden it became time to come in and and strike. There was no warning, but it was building up in you all the time. And So a true disciplinarian, a true loving disciplinarian says, no, we're going to stop this before it gets started we're not going to reach the point where we are all yelling and screaming because i love you enough not to do this to you and i love you enough not to let you get so far down this path that you can't come back to it i love you enough and i'm not going to yell at you i'm going to discipline you in love and i'm going to do it diligently and i'm going to do it early and so when we parent our, our kids the truth is we're not going to be helicopter parents but we're not going to be stealth fighter parents and we're not going to be free range parents Because none of those fit what it looks like to parent the Proverbs way. None of those fit with what the Bible teaches us. This is what a parent does and this is what is best for your kids. Not just now, but for the rest of their lives. None of those fit the description of teaching your kid the way they should go. So that when they are older, they won't depart from it. Let's pray together.